I'd like to call to order the regular formal meeting of the Iowa City City Council for July the 16th, 2019. Roll call. Cole. Here. Mims. Here. Celine. Taylor. Here. Teague. Here. Thomas. Here. Throgmorton. Here. So just for the benefit of the audience, uh, Council Member uh, Celie will not be here again tonight. We understand, at least Bruce was telling us, that she expects to return on the 20th of this month. So we certainly hope she arrives, returns safely, and look forward to seeing her. Beyond that, I would like to make a brief opening statement. This past weekend, immigration and customs enforcement officials were expected to conduct major raids targeting undocumented migrant parents and their children. Indications were that more such raids would take place throughout this week. As far as I know, no major raids have actually occurred so far, though I did read of uh, a significant one in San Diego, and there may have been some others that I don't know about. But I want to reiterate what this council has said before. As we stated in a resolution adopted on December the 6th, 2016, quote, we strongly condemn any political rhetoric, regardless of viewpoint, that involves threatening or intimidating language and any actions that involve the threat or fact of physical harm to others. And we celebrate our community's diversity and welcome all residents who live here, regardless of their national origin, color, religion, sexual orientation, or gender identity. To translate, this is me talking now, not the, the council on the, in 2016. To translate, we reject efforts to frighten and endanger individuals and families by raiding their homes at night. We reject efforts to separate children from their parents and then place those children in inhumane conditions. We reject racist efforts to divide Americans in terms of race, ethnicity, religion, or country of origin. Moreover, as we stated in a resolution adopted on January the 11th, 2017, quote, except as necessary for public safety as determined by the police chief or designee or as otherwise required by state or federal law, the Iowa City Police Department shall not undertake any law enforcement action for the purpose of detecting the presence of undocumented persons or devote any public resources to the enforcement of federal immigration law. And there are lots of details associated with that resolution that matter in terms of what the police department would actually do. So me speaking again, to translate, we will continue focusing our local law enforcement efforts on ensuring public safety. We urge the president and our elected representatives in the U.S. Congress to devise immigration and border enforcement policies that are fair, humane, and reflect American values. Okay, thanks. So now we move on to item two, which is proclamations. And I noticed that the person I expected to be accepting the proclamation is not here. Uh, do, do you know if Harry's going to be here or not? He okay. But I'll read it anyhow. It has to do with Americans with Disabilities Act Anniversary Day. 
Whereas the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, was passed on July the 26th, 1990, to ensure the civil rights of persons with disabilities, and whereas July 26 will mark the 29th anniversary of the signing of the ADA, which expanded access and opportunities for people with disabilities, and whereas the ADA has done this by reducing barriers and changing perceptions and increasing full participation in community life, and whereas the full promise of the ADA will only be reached if we remain committed to continue our efforts to fully implement this act. And whereas Iowa City affirms the principles of equality and inclusion for persons with disabilities as set forth and embodied in the ADA, and whereas the Iowa City government and residents are proud to recognize the accomplishments and contributions of our residents with disabilities, and whereas throughout the year and on the anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, the City of Iowa City celebrates and recognizes the progress that has been made by reaffirming the principles of equality and inclusion and recommitting our efforts to reach full ADA compliance. Now, therefore, I, James A. Throgmorton, Mayor of Iowa City, do hereby proclaim July the 26th, 2019, as Americans with Disabilities Act Anniversary Day and call upon all community members to observe this day with appropriate ceremonies and activities that celebrate the contributions of persons with disabilities and to renew our commitment to the Americans with Disabilities Act. So I assume there's no one here to accept the proclamation. Uh, yeah, apparently there's not, so we'll move on to items three through eight, which are the consent calendar. Could I have a motion to consider adoption of the consent calendar as presented or amended? So moved. Second. Moved by Mem, seconded by Teague. Discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Martin. Yes. Motion carries six to zero. Item nine, community comment. So this is for any, if you want to discuss any item that's not on a formal meeting agenda, please feel free to come up to the podium and do so. Please don't take any longer than three to five minutes. And state your name when you come up, sign in when you come up. So would anybody like to address us? Like Brandon, for example. Hi, Brandon. City Council, Mayor. Uh, a couple of things. One's uh, one's pretty easy, uh, pretty straightforward. Is uh, you got uh, folks? We have pianos that are uh, out in Iowa City. It's kind of a cool idea, and there are dozens of people who play the piano uh, regularly. I'm one, uh, but uh, even more uh, better than that, which is also pretty cool, is that uh, kids kids play. Kids who have uh, had some lessons, they go out there and they uh, they play. Um, uh, two of the three pianos have been in disrepair for five weeks, uh, which is a pretty large uh, proportion of, uh, of the summer. Uh, one has got, you know, 30 stuck keys, the other has no pedals, and that's two out of the three pianos. So I just thought someone want to pick that up. Uh, apparently no one uh, else seems to know who's the right person there. Uh, West Music keeps passing it. 
uh, downtown association says it's the council, so uh, who knows? Anyway, something that could be improved. Um, two, I just like to uh, I just like to bring up a general issue, which is that um, as we look across the street from here, uh, we see the Chauncey. Um, and um, it's now been uh, four, four summers that uh, it's been under construction. And um, you know, it used to be a common area. There used to be a park there. Uh, used to be a bicycle library, which was free for everybody. And I would just like to emphasize that, you know, this space is, uh, this space belongs to the public, right? I mean, I know that there are wealthy landlord planners, tenants going in there. But we've lost, you know, for instance, 1,400 days so far of the park uh, for the people. But what are, what are we getting back? You know, like, what do, what do we get uh, for that destruction? <laughs> and I think that's a good point to bring up. Uh, as we look across, we already see that in the park space, there's the advertisement which says, uh, spare me. I can't help but look at that and think of it in a certain way. You know, uh, there's advertisement now in the park area. That's 1,400 days so far. Now, you know, kids and teenagers need, need space, not to mention adults, seniors, and families. But, you know, you put in a bowling alley in there. I don't know how many of you folks are, uh, are bowlers. I don't know your, uh, your handicaps, per se, but... Uh, I think that bowling alley should be free for anybody 18 and under. Why not give it back to us a little bit, just a little bit? Free bowling. I know people, you know, you can get hit in the head with one of those balls. If you've seen the big Lebowski, it's not all play. But, you know, why not? Who's that land belong to? That's common space. You know, uh, I think that we can do better than that. I know there's a film going in there, but this is pay for. This isn't, this isn't uh, common space anymore. And uh, I would like you to hustle up those people regarding the park, which hurts everybody. Thousands of people are affected. So that would be my point. Thank you. Thanks, madam. Anyone else? Good evening, Adil. How are you? Adil Adams, uh, Iowa City. Uh, two weeks ago, I went to Mercer Park. There is an event about uh, Juneteenth, and this is the first time I go to see these events about Juneteenth. And there, is, there was food and uh, music and different cultures. And this just uh, remind me 20 years ago when I came here in Iowa City or before that, there is diversity. They used to do it at uh, Field House. Suddenly this event stopped. I don't know why. And uh, I know this event, everybody, every community in Iowa, they bring their food and they bring their clothes, their music. And really, it's a very nice day or good day. It starts from 9 in the morning till 9 p.m. It not cost the city or the university. 
any money. Because as I said, any community bring, every community brings their food and they show how they dance and uh, they do henna, some Indian, some African, some Indonesian, some, so all the cultures, more than 20 cultures. And this was real diversity. I want to ask the city council to see if they can start again doing this diversity. And uh, really everybody will be happy that they, they, because you can see your culture, like Sudanese, they bring their bride and groom and they do their dance and bring their foods and do henna. So I hope the city council can adopt this again or uh, uh, or ask any the university or other community to help to do these events again. Thank you. Thank you, Adil. Good evening. Good evening, Martha. Martha Norbeck. Um, thank you for continuing the climate conversation this evening. Um, and I jotted down some notes um, to follow up on a couple things that were said that I think might be uh, helpful for you to know. Um, so one question was, what kind of heat changes are we really looking at? Do we actually know? Um, so there are actually multiple tools out there that actually study this exact thing. And so one that I just looked up while you were talking is you can type in hundreds of cities around the country and look and see in 60 years, what will our climate be like? And Iowa City is actually in that list. And in 60 years, in 2080, our climate will be like Ponca City, Oklahoma, which is 13.5 degrees Fahrenheit warmer on average in the winter. Um, now, that may seem like a long time for you, uh, and you may not be here, but our kids are going to be here and that's going to be affecting their lives and how many things are going to change just wrap your head around that what if i were like ponca city oklahoma very different um, which leads to air quality because that means our growing seasons are longer and when you ask about what are the health impacts of climate change, so you do a quick little search, climate, health impacts of climate change. Um, the CDC has information, the EPA has information, the World Health Organization has information. Uh, on July 13th, NPR actually had a story that said, has your doctor talked to you about climate change? Because our growing seasons are getting longer, the amount of pollen in the air for the duration of that time is exacerbating people with respiratory issues. Their issues are getting worse. And then when heat and humidity combine, it creates ozone, which leads to smog, which traps particulates in the air. So if you have emphysema or bronchitis, you're increasing the chance of having an attack. Um, if you can imagine, um, right now we have LIHEAP. You cannot have your, uh, your um, utility cut off in the winter. Well, if we're having five, eight days a year, a summer that over, are over 100 degrees and people are getting their summer utilities cut off, 
what's the impact, health impact of that? Because you'd imagine if you have your utilities cut off because you can't pay for air conditioning or you don't even have air conditioning, you don't have a refrigerator. So suddenly, not only can you not, not only are you uncomfortable and your kids are like a nightmare of uncomfortability, you don't have, say, food. So you've got to throw out all that food, and until you can afford to pay that utility bill, you're eating out. And what kind of quality of food is that? What are the economic impacts of that? And so when you start to unravel this and look at these and the threads and how they affect our lives, it's pretty broad. And so I think it's really important um, for all of us to gain some familiarity with what, what the implications are of these changes. And Mayor Throckmorton, you su suggested creating a fund. Love that idea. Um, I have no idea how it happens either, but I love the idea. But to put it in perspective, we have 32,000 households in Iowa City. And if you spent $1,000 on every household, that would be $32 million. Now, okay, you say, oh, well, the city's not going to come up with $32 million, but that's not an expense, it's an economic opportunity. I mean, those are jobs. If you're improving homes, you're creating more work for that is local. If you're trying to do energy efficiency or solar or, or um, adding air conditioning, that's all work that's local. You're not exporting that work. So that work is not just a cost to the city. It's an opportunity. I mean, I hate to talk about like climate change is a crisis and we're all going to die. Oh, and by the way, there's economic opportunities. But with every crisis, there are economic opportunities. And we, if we couch it that way and consider the, all the ways we can massage that, we can, we can move forward more effectively. And um, there was a mention of how are we going to achieve zero? I don't know. But, um, you know, we didn't know how we were going to get to the moon either. And this is, I think today was the anniversary of the first moonwalk, or yesterday, one of those days. So we made it, and they were doing calculations by hand, for heaven's sakes. So we can figure this out. We just have no idea right now how we're going to get there. So I have optimism that we have the capacity to meet this challenge. We just have to have the will. Thank you. Thank you, Martha. Anyone else? Wow. What an unusual night. Oh. Okay, <laughs> so I see no one else. We'll move to item 10, planning and zoning matters. Item 10A, rezoning at 225 North Gilbert Street, local historic landmark. This is an ordinance rezoning approximately 0.10 acres of property from Central Business Service, CB2, to CB2 with a historic district overlay, CB2 slash OHD, for the property located at 225 North Gilbert Street. I'll open the public hearing. Good evening, Danielle. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Danielle Sitzman, Neighborhood and Development Services. 8.32 a.m., the launch of Apollo 11 on its way to the moon, arriving several days from now. Um, if you want to watch the recreation of it, I would recommend an app called JFK Moonshot. You can actually virtually impose wherever you're at with the current orbit of the lunar lander. Very cool. 
a little closer to home tonight, a couple of historic <laughs> landmark designations. Uh, these are both city-owned properties, this case and the next case, uh, 225 North Gilbert and 229 North Gilbert. The city purchased these properties um, in September of 2018 from Mercy Hospital with the intention of preserving the two structures, and uh, were, they were both originally considered for the un university program. Due to the location of the homes and the surrounding commercial uses, the city wanted to determine the demand for retail, office, and community arts and culture uses for the properties and issued an RFP to uh, evaluate that. Uh, Public Space One responded to that RFP and is in the purchase of signing a purchase agreement, which was also on your agenda tonight to set the public hearing for, to acquire both homes as community art space for exhibitions, education, and other events, as well as a community print studio and individual artist studios. Prior to the completion of that sale, the city wishes to apply historic landmark designation zoning in order to preserve them from demolition and to help stabilize the historic character of the neighborhood. Um, so a little bit of context, this is one of the two properties. The one next one on the agenda is just north of that. This shows the current zoning and the placement of the properties within kind of a commercial area rather than a residential area. Um, as far as, um, as part of historic um, designation, we did complete an intensive survey using a consultant. They researched both of these properties and found very interesting histories that do qualify them for uh, designation as ho local historic landmarks. Um, both houses have connections to one family in particular. Um, <clears throat> this house was built in 1904 by a um, Charles Menser for the Christian and Clara Dostal, and I'm going to not say this last name correctly, but Hohenschusch, I think. Um, both prominent in Iowa City uh, society with ties to the local immigrant uh, uh, community at the time. Um, <clears throat> so, um, the landmark rezoning does also require it's a. Uh, uh, a rezoning, so again, it is evaluated for compliance with the comprehensive plan. The planning commission did uh, review it against the comprehensive plan and the local district plans and found that it was uh, designating them as historic would uphold the goals and ideals contained in those documents. Um, the planning, I'm sorry, the historic preservation commission also first evaluated it, the proposal and found that there were uh, elements of the history, both of the architecture and the stories of the people that live there that qualify them for historic preservation. So this case is coming to you tonight, but with a recommendation from both bodies for designation as local landmarks. That concludes my report. Any questions for Danielle? Hearing none, would anybody else like to address this topic? Seeing no one, I'm going to ask the council whether you are inclined to vote in accordance with the Planning and Zoning Commission's recommendation. If not, we'd have to offer the commission to consult. All right. So I'm going to close the public hearing. Could I have a motion for first consideration, please? So moved. Second. Moved by Cole, seconded by Thomas. Discussion? Can I just say... Who is it, uh, Jim Zobel or Gary Dolphin says, I love it, I love it, I love it. I, I love everything about this particular project um, and this rezoning that's going to allow this to happen. Um, the backstory, of course, is this is the North Market Square sort of commercial district. Um, 
these two rezonings to, to be able to do the historic preservation, not only do we preserve these two historic structures, but we also open up a new opportunity for public space one, um, which I cannot think of a more um, fitting use of this. You know, public space one is an organization that has worked really hard for a long time, and they literally started in the basement, and they developed programming, and they kept at it. And, you know, I think a lot of times in our community, we want something to happen instantly. Well, it's, it's, it's great to see this particular organization evolve over time and finally have a home. Um, but not only that, though, I think the impact this rezoning will have on the block as a whole is significant, because if these were not preserved and protected, the likelihood of a much more significant, high-density, um, incompatible development, I think, would occur. And, and many of the community members also remembered we had a historic structure that we evaluated landmarking, ultimately did not do that. Um, but I think that this is going to make it more likely, in my view, that other structures will also be similar. So there's just so much that I like about this. And I also want to commend the staff. Staff identified this as an opportunity, flagged it for us, knew sort of what the vision was going to be, and, and, and we're going to make this happen. So I, I can't wait to see what um, they do with this particular project, Public Space One. I'm also in, in favor of this rezoning and, and in relation to the, the new owners. I, I hope that they too will uh, embrace the historic nature uh, of both of these properties. Yeah, the, the star is really aligned on this one. And um, when that happens, it's really very exciting. You know, the historic, the historic character will be preserved. It's in a location which will help stabilize the the block context and then the programming with Public Space One. So it's a home run um, as far as as far as this goes and, and this is one aspect of it. So it's um, very enthusiastic about this. Any other comment? Well, hearing none, I'll just say a couple of things. Uh, uh, I'm going to support this, but I, I would also like to thank Tim Weitzel, <clears throat> who was hired as a consultant to do, to prepare a history of immigrant communities and culture in the 19th century as part of this particular proposal for rezoning and the other one that we're going to consider in just a minute. And I, he did a terrific job, and I, I really admire. The, I love the kind of information, the insight you can get from reading these kinds of documents. You can learn so much more about Iowa City's history and who the individuals were and what they were doing, why they were doing it, and what they did to preserve certain structures and just live in the structures and what was going on around them. So if you haven't had a chance to read one of these documents, like the one Tim put together for tonight's rezonings, I urge you to take a look at it. It's tr tremendously informative. I also want to make a quick comment. It has nothing to do with the vote. Danielle, you said something about the launching, I guess, of uh, the uh, Apollo, which is Apollo 12, 11? Yeah, so I, I was in Paris that night when that particular rocket was launched, and I was in Brussels, Belgium, when Neil Armstrong first walked on the moon. And I have very strong memories of seeing these two events on little black and white screens in Paris and then Brussels. So it's quite memorable for me. It has nothing to do with the vote, though. Hmm. 
Okay, any other comment about the topic at hand? Hearing none, roll call please. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Cole? Yes. Motion carries six to zero, which gets us to item 10B. Rezoning at 229 North Gilbert Street, local historic landmark. This is an ordinance rezoning approximately 0.09 acres of property from Central Business Service, CB2 to CB2 with a historic district overlay, CB2 slash OHD for property located at 229 North Gilbert Street. I'll open the public hearing. Danielle, you're up again. Thank you, Mayor. This is the second of the two properties, the more northern one. Again, uh, the uh, intensive survey revealed that there were significant historical um, events that occurred and the architecture of the building was significant enough to rise to the level of local landmark designation. Um, <clears throat> the uh, Historic Preservation Commission therefore recommended approval of the overlay zone. It was then again re-evaluated by the Planning and Zoning Commission for compliance with the comprehensive plan and found to support the goals there. Again, this coming before you tonight with a recommendation for both bodies for adoption. That concludes my report. Any questions for Danielle? Thank you. Would anybody else like to address this topic? Seeing no one, I need to ask you whether you are inclined to support the rezoning? Yep, okay, so I'm gonna close the public hearing. Could I have a motion to give first consideration, please? So moved. Second. Moved by Mem, seconded by Thomas. Discussion. Mayor, if I can add one thing, I think it's appropriate to recognize Mercy Hospital's role in this. Uh, we bought those homes from Mercy. They had every opportunity to put those on the market and probably get a pretty good value for those two homes given that location. Instead, they came to us and asked if we had an interest in, in doing something that we really felt would be appropriate for the community. So without Mercy's willingness to come to us first, we wouldn't have this opportunity today. And Jeff, could you briefly comment to what the nonprofit for this particular, or we, what's the proposed use here? Public Space One is proposing to purchase both homes. Oh, both homes, sorry. Yep, okay. Can we have a tour of the interior? I'd love to do that. I don't know if anybody else would like to join me, but I was really impressed with 229 in particular, just by judging, just by looking at the photographs in the packet. But I'd like to see both of them. Yeah, well, uh, Tracy and her staff can line that up for you. Great. Okay, any further discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Frogmorton? Yes. Cole? Yes. Pims? Yes. Motion carries six to zero. Item 10C, zoning code text amendment related to separation distance requirement for fuel dispensing equipment. This is an ordinance amending Title 14, zoning code, to modify the provisional and special exception approval criteria regarding the distance separation between fuel dispensing equipment and residential zones for quick vehicle service uses. Would someone make a motion to give second consideration for this, please? So moved. Second. By Mem, seconded by Thomas. Uh, discussion. So is anybody going to brief us on uh, what was learned about, um, you know, the the pollutant uh, sure. and health implications. I don't have a lot of comment for you, but uh, we did provide an additional memo kind of outlining the um, 
gas station regulations, both by the EPA and the Clean Air Act, as well as the state of Iowa, and also attempting to kind of explain staff's reasoning for this particular uh, way of amending the code versus others that were evaluated. Um, the Clean Air Act um, does regulate or has regulated in the past vapors that escape from both fueling the underground storage tanks and fueling vehicles at the pumps. Um, the difference that uh, Councilmember Th Thomas may have noticed at pumps around the country has to do with uh, stage two vapor recovery that was mandated for certain cities that suffer from smog, so ground level ozone. Um, they were mandated if they had air quality that was out of the EPA's re regulated standards to become, uh, they become non-attainment areas and they were required to have those systems installed in their pumps. Um, since that time, uh, vehicle technology has basically taken that uh, vapor recovery system into the vehicle design itself. And so actually the EPA uh, has lifted that requirement from non-attainment cities and left it up to those cities whether or states rather whether they want to continue to con uh, capture uh, vapor that way. Iowa was never a non-attainment uh, state, never mandated by the EPA to have those recovery systems and so therefore you don't see them on our pumps. The, again, that technology has been uh, integrated into vehicles since the mid to early 2000s, I believe is what the the number was. So little learning curve for us about how gas stations work and how they're regulated. Um, and then, then I think staff's um, walkthrough of other ways we thought of how to um, adjust these standards, but then chose this one as the best option. Great. Any questions for Danielle? And again, this is a citywide standard, right? right. So it's, 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 it's driven by this particular location on Mormon Trek, but it's a citywide standard. And right. can you maybe elaborate a little bit? How many other potential sites could an ordinance change facilitate additional gas so stations? So we only found three gas stations in our kind of survey of existing stations that had any challenge meeting the existing standard, which is a greater distance. Um, we don't really feel like the gas station market is looking to locate in neighborhoods. They tend to like to be on higher uh, vehicle traveled uh, streets with greater visibility. They prefer to have a larger setbacks from their property lines so that they are more visible that way. So we didn't feel that there was a, a in changing this ordinance that we would create more demand for gas, gas stations in neighborhoods, um, simply accommodating this one. Okay, thanks. Sure. <clears throat> I noticed in looking at our late handout that Keith Wagon submitted some additional information from the EPA stating and discussing why stage two vapor recovery is not required. Is Keith in the room? No? You know, Keith, do, do, you, I don't, do you want to say anything about it? You don't have to. It's a 2012, and 2012 rule from EPA, right? Yeah, Keith Wagan with CDA, um, also with me, Siobhan Harmon with Come and Go. Um, generally speaking, what we learned and what we know is stage two recovery is redundant based on the um, recovery systems that are now built into vehicles, as, as she mentioned just a bit ago. So um, the other thing that we wanted to add to the conversation, we talked a little bit last time about uh, vapors from filling up the fuel tanks on the site and wanted to just clarify what that process is. And I think we refer to that as stage one recovery, which is essentially when the fuel truck comes to the site, uh, pulls up next to where the underground storage tanks are. There's a vent hose that he connects, that the driver connects to the vent port on the underground tanks. Then he starts filling the tank. And as that fuel in the tank level rises, the vapors are forced back into the fuel truck. The fuel truck then takes those vapors back to the fuel supply location where he got the fuel from, 
that fuel is then condensed and essentially recycled back into fuel. So pretty much it's a, a circulating process. And the tanks are below the frost line. Just for oh, sorry. Yeah, state your name. Siobhan Harmon, come and go. Um, the, our tanks, are, or USTs, are put below the frost line. So it's a very stable environment under there. It remains at about 50 degrees at all times. So again, it's just you know very stable with the vapors. Great. Any questions for Keith or Siobhan? Thanks. Would anybody else like to address this topic? Okay, seeing no one else, council discussion? I'm going to support the change. I think I think staff has done, you know, their research as usual in terms of looking at not expecting major impacts across the city, and I think the change is obviously in the technology. I think we've all seen, you know, when you put gas in your car, the openings for the gas tanks are different than they used to be and all that sort of stuff in terms of um, helping to prevent that escape of vapors. So I feel comfortable with the change and will support it. I also support it. I think it's after seeing especially the numbers that were shared with us across the city, There's, it's just totally inconsistent. And so this will help to provide some consistency. And uh, it was true nationwide, too, uh, comparing uh, random numbers all across the state and the country. So uh, it's good, at least for our area, to have, have a consistent number. Yeah, I appreciate the um, additional research that went in uh, between our first and second reading, so um, I will be supportive of this as well. I do appreciate the additional information that was uh, provided. Um, again, um, it was the particulars uh, that mattered to me as far as stage one, stage two, you know, the um, just capturing um, the safety for our residents that are surrounding. Um, we also have um, the fire marshal, Brian Gear, uh, Greer, um, you know, state having a letter of support. So I do think that um, with, the, with the change that we have, I will support this. Um, you know, as a gas station, it does come with risk. Um, no matter how close or how far. So I will support this. This does seem like a reasonable request from, to me. As I said during the first meeting, I don't necessarily have a problem with this particular location. I think for me, I just have concerns about, I think it's an incompatible use, and I do view this as potentially, even though it potentially be incremental, um, could facilitate additional incompatible uses with our neighborhood. So I'm still gonna be the dissenting vote on this, um, but I appreciate the thought that went into this, and um, it's looking like it's gonna pass in any event. Okay, roll call, please. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throgmorton? Yes. Cole? No. Mims? Yes. Motion carries five to one. Could I have a motion to accept correspondence, please? So moved. Second. Moved by Mims, seconded by Thomas. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. Motion carries. Item 10D, rezoning at the northwest corner of Benton Street and Orchard Street. This is an ordinance conditionally rezoning approximately 1.75 acres of land located at the northwest corner of Benton Street and Orchard Street from medium density single family residential, RS8, to Riverfront Crossings, Orchard, RFCO. This is pass and adopt. Could I have a motion to pass and adopt? Move pass and adoption. 
Second. Moved by Thomas, seconded by Cole. Discussion? I'm guessing no one wants to address this topic. I should have asked that initially. Yeah, apparently nobody does. Did you want to say something? I just want to say I, I'll support this, uh, but I do have some concerns as far as the traffic, again, uh, going on and off of Benton and around Orchard, um, and do hope, again, with all our environmental concern discussions this evening that uh, the developers are, are conscious of the LED guidelines and, and other means of re reducing any impact on the environment. Uh, I'm not sure what the newer building towards the north of, of this development, uh, what kinds of um, methods they've utilized for those guidelines, and also, uh, to absolutely ensure the availability of affordable units. Um, my other concern was uh, now on along Benton, uh, there is a nice tree coverage, and, and I'm hoping that they'll take that into consideration too and, and uh, keep some green space. Any further discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Rod Martin? Yes. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Motion carries six to zero. <coughs> Item 11, Central Iowa Power, excuse me, Central Iowa Power Cooperative Utility Easement. This is a resolution approving the conveyance of a utility easement to Central Iowa Power Cooperative. I'll open the public hearing. Uh, is anybody going to briefly state what this is all about? This is a uh, e easement um, <clears throat> uh, conveyance to Central Illinois Power Cooperative at our landfill. It's an electri electrical transmission line. It, it does no bearing on our landfill operations uh, currently nor in the future. So uh, the, the um, conveyance is based on uh, fair market value. Fairly routine item in staff size. Uh, our South Wastewater Treatment Plant gets electric power from Central Iowa? No? No. Um, Eastern Iowa. Uh, yes. Great. Thank you. Okay. Anybody else want to address this topic? All right. Seeing no one, I'm going to close the public hearing. Move the resolution. Second. Moved by Mem, seconded by Cole. Discussion. Hearing none, roll call, please. Thomas? Yes. Frogmorton? Yes. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Motion carries six to zero. Item 12, establish urban renewal area. This is a resolution determining an area of the city to be a combination economic development and blight area, and that the rehabilitation, conservation, redevelopment, development, or a combination thereof of such area is necessary in the interest of the public health, safety, or welfare of the residents of the city. Designating such area as appropriate for an urban renewal project and adopting the Forest View Urban Renewal Plan, therefore. I'll open the public hearing. Hi, Wendy. What's up? Good evening, Council. I'm Wendy Ford, Economic Development uh, Coordinator, and um, we're here to talk about the Forest View Urban Renewal Area. The purpose for establishing this area would be to enable the city to consider financial participation in a project, an urban renewal project within the area. 
the Forest View Urban Renewal Plan is established on a basis, on a combination, I should say, on the basis of a combination of slum and blight and economic development. To be determined a blighted area, the state code includes five conditions, including areas of a municipality in which there is a substantial number of slum, deteriorated or deteriorating structures, or defective or inadequate street layout. A blighted area need only meet one of the conditions or a combination uh, of those conditions, and this one does. The Forest View Mobile Home Court currently exhibits these conditions in that a substantial number of the existing mobile homes are in such a condition that they could not be moved or relocated to another area due to their dilapidated condition or deteriorating conditions. Many of the homes are decades old, have had little investment in maintenance over the years, and are notorious for fire hazard. Meeting the standard of inadequate street layout, there is only one access to into and out of the neighborhood. The area is heavily, heavily wooded, and if a tree were to fall across the single access, there would be limited access uh, by our emergency fire, ambulance, or police vehicles. And again, to be determined a slum area, you only need to meet one of four conditions the state sets out, and this does. There is also the de designation of economic development, um, and that part of the designation simply indicates that the area is appropriate for commercial enterprises and that public improvements related to housing and construction of housing for low and moderate income families is appropriate. Regarding the comprehensive plan, as recently as 20, April 2019, the comp plan was updated in consideration of development plans contemplated for this area. In June, the Planning and Zoning Commission re reviewed the urban renewal plan uh, for its conformity with that comp plan, and they voted five to one that the Forest View Urban Renewal Plan conforms to the Iowa City Comprehensive Plan and the district plans. In that plan, there are five goals adopted, and those include that the developer or owner going forward should provide relocation assistance to the residents, that any development of multifamily must incorporate certain design standards for setbacks, woodland buffers, low-level lighting, etc., that they must preserve the scenic character of, the prime, of this primary entrance to the city using strict design guidelines, and preserve a buffer of existing trees and, vegeta and vegetation between Dubuque Street and any development and the homes there in the neighborhood. And finally, to allow access to the area from Dubuque Street between I-80 and Foster Road. And this fifth goal, in this case, is what is triggering the need for the urban renewal plan. North Dubuque LLC, owners of the property, approached the city about a project and to share in the costs of building the infrastructure, the roads, trails, water, sewer, and stormwater within the area, and thus we have included this one project in the urban renewal plan. And remember always a development agreement with the details and proposed conditions for tax increment financing would come to the council later. This is just the part that sets the stage for your consideration of that at a later date. 
Um, but let me show you the, uh, well, first the extent of the uh, urban renewal plan, as you can see on this map up here, includes the area you're familiar with in Forest View, and, and uh, people have asked about the, the square element on the right, and that was simply the easiest way to legally describe the area that would include the intersection of Dubuque Street and the trail intersection uh, required to continue north across the interstate. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that whole area will be uh, encumbered by a, a, um, an urban renewal project. However, that legal description covers it. More uh, succinctly, perhaps, is this map here, which shows the, and I don't see the cursor, there it is, the cursor, which shows the um, area where um, the new Forest View Drive would intersect with du North Dubuque Street, um, turn northwest, continue westward over to the new uh, Forest View neighborhood, and um, down to connect with the existing Algonquin Road. The uh, considerations um, at this stage um, in working with the developer include the city's financial participation only in the parts of the road that, that serve to connect Dubuque Street to Algonquin Road. There are many other pieces of infrastructure in the area, in the development area, but the city's concern, at least the part we're working on now, uh, would only involve the, um, that connection through the neighborhoods. Um, staff believes there are two significant benefits to this project. The first being the assurance that the developer will provide good housing options and relocation assistance to the neighbors in the current Forest View Mobile Home Park. Um, in a, um, an affordable housing agreement, um, they will be agreeing to provide relocation either into the new neighborhood, into new multifamily buildings there, or they will also have the option of uh, moving into um, similar type and style of housing off-site. As you know, one of the partners in the development group also owns other mobile home uh, areas, and those would be made uh, as options for relocation should any of the neighbors there desire that. So not only the affordable housing component for the residents of Forest View Mobile Home Court, but the other benefit would be um, the creation of the new Forest View Drive, which creates, uh, especially importantly in times of high water, a secondary uh, access to the Peninsula and Mackinac neighborhoods, which if you'll recall back, um, some of which had to be evacuated in high water, even though their homes were high and dry, there was no access into and out because of Foster Road. So we see this as a, um, a critical public benefit and, and uh, a really good reason why the city should consider participating in this project. So at this point, all the statutory steps to establish a, an urban renewal plan have been completed. I guess not statutorily, but the, the uh, uh, Economic Development Committee met early in June, June 3rd, and uh, voted to recommend this to City Council. And then the statutory requirements are um, to pass a resolution of necessity, which you did on June 18th, uh, for the Planning and Zoning Commission to review the plan 
against the comprehensive plan, which they did, and you saw their memo in your packet. And finally, to have a, a taxing consultation with the other taxing entities in the, in the county. And that was held on July 1st as well. So with all those um, steps completed, um, that completes my report. And I would open it up to any questions, should you have them. Wendy, did anybody from the county or the school board attend that consultation? Nobody from the school board, but Lisa Green Douglas did mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with and, the county. And she didn't raise any objections or concerns? Nope. Yeah. Nope. She was interested in the project and, and uh, from what I could tell, was enthusiastic about uh, the affordable housing uh, parts of the project especially. Great. Any other questions for Wendy? All right, thank you. Would anybody else like to address this topic? All right, seeing no one else, I'm gonna close the public hearing. Could I have a motion to approve the resolution, please? So move. Second. Moved by Teague, seconded by Thomas. Discussion. I think this is a pretty easy one. Next step forward, we knew this was coming. Yeah, it comes as no surprise, right? So harder work is before us at next after this. Yep. Any further discussion? Hearing none, roll call, please. Throgmorton? Yes. Cole? Yes. Mims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Motion carries six to zero. Item 13, council liaison to the CPRB, which is the Community Police Relations Board. This is an ordinance amending Title VIII, entitled Police Regulations, Chapter Eight, entitled Community Police Review Board, to create a city council liaison, and this is first consideration. Could I have a motion to give first consideration, please? So moved. Acting clerks, what are you gonna do? <laughs> Such a good training program. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't tell you not to spill your water. Sorry, Bruce, did you make so a motion? Moved, yes. Is there a second, please? Second. Moved by Teague, seconded by Thomas. Discussion. I am not gonna support this. Um, I've, I've listened to representatives of the CPRB and, and what their concerns are and issues are, and it just seems to me that there is ample opportunity for any of the members of the CPRB to come, you know, approach any counselor at any time. I mean, they've, they've got our phone numbers, they've got our email addresses. Um, and so to me, it, it just starts setting up a process of one-offs that, that we don't really need. And I, I think they, if, if we need to do anything, maybe it's just better communicating or maybe us taking the initiative periodically to reach out to people, but I don't see the need to designate a formal liaison to any of our commissions, including the CPRB. So just in the spirit of dialogue, because I really haven't decided what I mm -hmm. want to recommend or vote how I want to vote, uh, a counter argument would be that many new appointees, or actually appointees, don't know individual council members at all. Mm -hmm. And therefore, many of them are pretty leery of actually contacting a council member and coming to meet them and talking with them about specifics. It can be pretty daunting, you know, if, if you know, so th that factor should be considered, I think. But then I still don't see why we are 
why they are different than others. Now, I realize some of the issues they deal with are incredibly sensitive and obviously incredibly important. Um, it, I guess I might feel differently if we were seeing lots of situations where there were significant differences between the CPRB and the chief of police, but we're not seeing that. Um, it, it's not it's not like there's a lot of consternation or, or a real difficult, you know, situation that's going on. I think with Chief Matherly going to those meetings, I don't, I'm not sure if he still is, but I know he certainly was when he first came, and developing that relationship, um, I think that's there. And, and in regard to people being uncomfortable approaching counsel, I guess my, my response to that would be, if people have if people have the fortitude to put their name forward to serve on a commission or any of our boards then i would certainly hope that they have the strength of personality to be able to pick up a phone and make a phone call or sit at home behind a computer where we can't see them and they can't see us and at least send us an email that, hey, I've got a question or I've got a concern. Could we sit down for a cup of coffee or whatever? I, I'm sorry. If people don't have that much strength, then they shouldn't be out serving, I, I don't think, on our commissions and boards. I, we're not... We're not, I don't think, imposing people. Yeah, we sit up here a few feet higher, but I think we're all very, very approachable. And I think that's, in my opinion, that's a pretty weak excuse. I, I so, think you bring up some good concerns, Susan. I would not support this if it required us attending their meetings. I think it's very important that we as all counselors you know, really keep our focus on the most important thing, which are biweekly meetings and our policy making. Um, but Mr. Townsend made clear that, that he was not expecting that we would have regular attending of the meetings. And I do think there is something that you know, to the extent that this would serve as a template um, for possible expansion of other of other direct contact, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I, I think the more direct information that we can get and direct channels that we can get is a good thing. And then the final point that I would make is I, I, I view sort of policy making as this co-creating process with the residents, the boards, and of course the council and the, and the learned expertise of our staff. And you know, I know you value Orville and all the other members on the boards too. They're tremendous people. But I think in particular, when they thought about this and generated, and we've had some very good work sessions with them in terms of possible changes that we can make. I really want to give significant weight to those. So if it turned into a uh, meeting where we were having to do a lot of meetings, I probably would not support this. But I think opening up that channel is, is important. And I think, as you had mentioned, this is probably one of the more important boards that we have, I think, in terms of um, fortunately, as he said, it's been very good lately. But I think really keeping our, our finger on the pulse of that board is going to be very, very important. So I, I am going to support it. One of the things um, when I look at this, you, this is the commissioners coming to us, and although it was a four-to-one vote, um, they're asking us um, to identify someone on council that they can go to, um, essentially for an issue that they don't feel comfortable to. Well, that was one example. Mm -hmm. Was an issue they wouldn't feel comfortable potentially bringing up or they felt that it was going to just um, cause some disturbance there. Um, 
depending on what that might be, I think that council would have information to give a little history to, you know, of what has been done in the past by council. Um, I, I do believe that the mayor brings up an important um, situation. Many of them don't know us, and I do believe that um, council, the, the, you know, the council within itself can be intimidating for some individuals. Um, you know, it, it invokes some stress. And I imagine that this is not the only board and commission that we have that would like to have someone identify that they can go to or a, a council member that they meet. Um, when I first came on council, I was discouraged to go to meetings by a few individuals. And um, not to say that they said you can't, but I was discouraged because um, definitely people may change their vote or their conversation may be changed in the presence, in the, in the presence of a counselor and you don't want to um, influence whatever conversations are happening. So I do understand that. I do respect that. Um, but again, I, I feel like they're asking for someone um, that they, that on the council that will be appointed, that they can come to. I really do see it, as Rockney said, as an opportunity for um, maybe a template for something in the future. Um, but even a trial basis, I think that we can certainly go back and change this in a year from now if we're finding it is, um, one, um, pointless because they don't anticipate using it very much. They've already mentioned that it may not even be used within, there's no issues now. It's really for something in the future when we, we don't have um, someone that has been like our current chief um, that is really, really fighting for the justice um, of, on both sides, both the um, residents that are served as well as ensuring that the police are doing um, things according to um, what, what his expectations are and, and us as a council. So I do hear Susan Mims and I do agree that this is um, some, <laughs> a territory that we do need to uh, tread lightly to go into. Um, I am gonna support it. I, I do support it with some reservations, quite honestly, um, because I do believe that um, one counselor can influence, but I don't think that um, this is a situation where we're just appointing someone to, to talk to. They can reach out to any of us, um, but it's just one person they can talk to. They don't have to talk to that person if they don't want to. They may have a, a relationship with someone else. So I don't know that, um, for me, this is an easy, well, it's not an easy, but this is something that, that I will support. Um, but I, I do hear the reservation. I do agree uh, we need to tread lightly. But given all the other factors, I think that um, we can go through this process. And if we don't like it, um, there, there's always dialogue happening between uh, the counselors on um, how things are you know, progressing um, on any um, on a number of things, and so I do think that um, these reports will be coming back when they do happen, and I just say I'm going to support it. Although uh, I appreciate the their 
trust in a council person to uh, listen to their concerns. Um, I think it's been stated that no other city board or commission has a liaison, and I think um, uh, we shouldn't single one out over the others. And I'm still just really not clear what their process would be for them to come to that council person because as a single council person we can't really make decisions on our own it would be something if there were concerns about the functioning of a board it would be something that we as an entire council should be considering and we would have to do that in a public setting um, unless there are just two or three of us talking about it but I, I think it should be the entire council that would be listening to these concerns um, if they want us just to come to the meetings to sort of facilitate communication amongst the members, that's that's one thing. But to actually make decisions about what's going on, I, I don't I don't see that as a good thing. Well, I um, I'm going to give the CPRB the kind of the benefit of having spent a considerable amount of time thinking through what they feel their needs are. Uh, based on their experience as a board, and uh, give it a try. You know, I, I I can't say that I have a. I'm convinced that it's a good idea, but at the same time, I'm. I can't say I'm convinced it's not a good idea. I think, I feel that uh, it's something that could be tested, um, and I'll I'll give give the board the benefit of the doubt in terms of, uh, you know, they they they're in these shoes that. Um, uh, you know, and have experienced their their shoes as a board, and an idea of what may benefit their process, and uh, um, honor their perspective on that, and and you know, give it a try. Well, I think this commission is unique, or I should say board, is unique because the challenges they face and the topics they have to address are, as you said, Susan, sensitive, but they are extremely sensitive, especially for the people who are affected by uh, events that occur and lead specific allegations to be made with regard to how the community interacted with the police or vice versa. Tremendously sensitive topic. Uh, I uh, have not been persuaded that there is strong reason to create a liaison position as such. I don't really see how that will add to the commission's already existing ability to connect with council members. So by having one liaison, that would imply that police uh, CPRB members would be expected to contact just that one member. I agree. And that makes no sense to me. Uh, I would prefer that the CPRB members feel free and invited to contact any one of the members of the city council. So with enormous respect for the board members and especially for Orville Townsend, who is the, the key person in making this recommendation, I'm not going to support it. Uh, I do think, however, it would be good for uh, probably me to send a letter to the individual council members and if staff could draft such a letter for me, that'd be great. 
saying we acknowledge your concerns and uh, um, uh, eventually decided that it, we don't believe it would be appropriate to appoint a liaison as such, but that we really eagerly invite you to feel free to contact individual council members. Here are their phone numbers, here are their email addresses, here are their private email addresses if individual council members are willing to do that. I certainly am. Uh, and and make and you know and couch the uh, write the letter in such a way as it makes it very clear that we want them to be able to contact us individually about any matter that they think is really crucial to the operation of the board. Uh, so I'm going to vote no, but I, I would really like to see that see, kind of letter. One super quick thing. Um, we are sitting, this is I think the first potential 3-3 that we have. It's my understanding if it's not successful, it's done. Correct. That second. So of the three that are no, we have Councilman Saleh that's going to come back relatively shortly. And I think an issue as important as this, we, we should have all the votes here. And if you guys decided a lighter point, so if one of the three to vote yes to get it on to second consideration, and if Councilman Saleh agrees with your position, then it won't be done. But, but, but I think that makes sense given the fact that we do not have a full council. Would an alternative possibility, excuse me, possibility be to get a motion to defer first consideration to a specified date, I, I August 6th? I would make that motion, so moved. Is there a second to that motion? Second. All right, so moved by Cole, seconded by Thomas, to defer to August the 6th. Yeah, when we can decide as a full body. I'm not willing to do that. I, I think we have business before the council. Um, council Member Salee got elected to this council to serve the members of this community, and she has chosen to take two months off every year to go back to Sudan and see her family. Now, family is incredibly important to me. But to me also, when you get elected to a public body, you should be here to serve the public. Um, and so I don't think delaying votes um, for that purpose, I don't think it's appropriate. I think we've got business in front of us, and I think we should vote. With all due respect uh, to Councilwoman Salee and, and Rockney and, and your choice to, to save this for her, I recall that uh, before she came on to the council, she sat on the CPRB. So I would be just a little bit concerned that she might be a little bit biased uh, towards making a decision on that respect. That's just my opinion. That's a point I hadn't thought about. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> uh, do you have a thought there, Bruce? I guess um, just to comment on that, I think that many of us sit on um, we make decisions on things that we have um, conflict of interest, potentially, all the time. Um, Shouldn't. <laughs> well, Not, you don't mean. I don't mean the conflict of conflict, interest, but you mean past service, yes. where you may feel conflicted emotionally. Exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, we we go to <laughs> the lawyer coming up. <laughs> yeah, the lawyer. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, we we attend a lot of um, events in our community. Uh, for our nonprofits, and those we come in and we vote on things they present to us all the time. So I do understand, you know, that she was on a board, but I, I believe that when you're in this position, um, 
I mean, I've been a recipient of, you know, some things through the city, but when I sit here, I am sitting here as a counselor and I'm thinking for the greater good of this community. And so I don't think that that, for me, is a, a valid point. Um, no disrespect to you. Um, so I, I do think that uh, if we if we're you know three to three now, I, I think it's appropriate to defer um, until we have a have a the full body. John, did, did yeah, you already I, speak? I, no, I think it's it's appropriate to defer on this. Yeah, I would prefer to defer as well. Um, Without going into details, one of the reasons Maz is not here is because there's uh, enormous trauma in Sudan, and it's been extremely hard for her to get back. And I don't want to go into detail about it. because That's not accurate, Jim, though. I, I have to disagree publicly, because she left intending to be gone for two months. That was her intent when she left. It was the same thing last summer. She left, and she was gone for two months. Yes, there is a horrendous situation in Sudan this summer, and because of that, she was going to try and come back early. But her original intent was to be gone for two months, and I do not think this council should defer the work of this body because a council member chooses to be gone. Okay, there's a motion on the floor. Uh, roll call, please. It's a voice vote. Voice vote. So all in favor of deferring to August the 6th, first consideration to August the 6th, say aye. 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 Opposed? No. No. Motion carries four, well, four to two. Yeah. All right. Moving on, item 14, purchase of 1232-1234 Sandusky Drive. This is a resolution approving a purchase agreement for duplex property located at 1232-1234 Sandusky Drive for the South District Home Investment Partnership Program. Could I have a motion to approve the resolution, please? So moved. Second. Moved by Thomas, seconded by Teague. Erica, so please, go ahead. Uh, Erica Kubley with Neighborhood Services. Um, at the May 21st work session, staff discussed with council that we are having a hard time identifying properties for the South District Homeownership Program. And we've been exploring different options over the past two months. Um, however, since then, we were able to find a duplex that meets council's um, program parameters and have entered into a purchase agreement contingent on council approval. Um, the property is located at 1232 and 1234 Sandusky, which is on the northwest corner of Davis Street and Sandusky Drive. The property sustained a fire in April, and the tenants relocated and terminated their leases after that, so it's been vacant for a few months. The purchase price for the entire duplex is $124,000. We will have $35,000 in local funds plus $25,000 in federal home funds for renovations and down payment assistance per unit. Um, we didn't request a formal recommendation from HCDC regarding the property, but did discuss it briefly as part of a broader conversation about the South District program at their meeting last week, and the commissioners were supportive of the purchase, and I can answer any questions you might have. How are you going to identify potential buyers? Um, I think we'll work with the Neighborhood Association as well as the Housing Authority to reach out and maybe do uh, outreach, like letter outreach to residents. Uh, is there a, a, a spatial process like, you know, Taylor Boulevard and people who live on Taylor Boulevard and uh, that, that inter intersecting street, the name of which I've forgotten? Uh, Davis. Davis, yeah, thank or, you. Uh, yeah. And then beyond that, and then beyond that, what, um, I don't know if our outreach will go in that uh, order, but our preferences will for who would be eligible to purchase. So we may re reach out to the entire neighborhood at once. 
save time basically in one process. Okay. Any other questions for Erica? Thank you. So there's a motion on the floor. Council, uh, anybody else want to address this? Sorry, Martha, I almost blew that. <laughs> I wasn't going to let you forget. <laughs> I hear you waving. <laughs> I was going to jump up and down. Um, so to, to put my comments in context, uh, I am a, uh, an architect, I am a green building consultant, and I have also been serving on the uh, Climate Action Steering Committee. Um, and so that is the context on which I make my comments. Um, I, am, I think this program is awesome. I think it's a great idea. I love the university program, and I, I like the idea of extending this. Uh, one of the things that I enjoy in these meetings, it have, I'm one of those geeks who watches these meetings <laughs> at home, and I've enjoyed seeing the increased focus on equity, and it just comes up again and again and again, and I've really appreciated that development over the years, and, and I've admired how it's been integrated into so many aspects. And I guess my challenge with this, these comments is to say climate action needs to be in that same vein. It needs to be coming up all the time. And I've already talked about the energy cost burden, uh, uh, the energy, uh, uh, the climate changes earlier. Um, one of the things that happens with energy costs is that when you have less money, the percentage of your income that goes towards energy costs is greater. So it's called the energy cost burden. So for people in the low income category, 16.3% uh, of their income on typically is going towards energy costs, whereas for people in average and upper incomes, it's more like 3.5% or less. So um, I looked at the, the one pager and said, okay, where are we talking about energy costs? Nope, not in there. Um, and I looked also for comments about health because as I mentioned earlier, there's public health implications with a changing climate. And I looked in here for comments about how, you know, increased filtration will be um, incorporated into these buildings because people, uh, we have no way of knowing about the health conditions of the people in that space. And people who don't have health conditions today actually may develop them as air quality worsens. And so I looked for that, not in there. I looked for the words energy efficiency, not in there. I looked for Performance data, are we going to be Energy Star? Are we going to have a HERS rating? Are, is there going to be home school requirement? There are some federal requirements tied to the home funds, but those are pretty limited. And it just seems like a missed opportunity. And one of the things that I find challenging here is I know this was, because I'm a geek and I watch these things, I know that this was being discussed at the same time we were talking about the Climate Action Steering Committee, the Climate Action Plan. Those were congruent. And I was assured that the city was going to integrate the consideration of climate across all departments. And so I'm looking at this and I'm saying, what happened? What happened to that integration? I don't know. I don't know what happens behind the scenes. So I'm not pointing fingers, but I'm using this as an opportunity to point out a missed opportunity. So, double entendre. Um, 
And I guess what I would say is, you know, we've got an architect on staff, we've got engineers on staff, we've got a building department, we've got a sustainability coordinator. All these people could have answered these questions. Why aren't they being asked? And the other item is the sustainability coordinator, she can't do this on her own. You know, the way I work as a green building consultant is I educate the team enough so that they understand the principles that we're considering. So I can't be there at every meeting, and they're not gonna pay me for that, but they know what I'm looking for. So when something comes up, they give me a ring. Um, and I check in with them periodically. Are things happening that you haven't told me about that you forgot to ask me about? And I'm checking in with them. You know, that's a role that a coordinator can do, but they cannot do the heavy lifting in every department. Climate action needs to be spread across all departments and all staff. It needs to be coming up in all considerations. And if you start looking at after agenda after agenda after agenda, there's so many agenda items. I could have stood up four times tonight, but I really didn't want to bother you that much. Um, but it keeps coming up. Forest view, huge climate implications to that development. Um, climate implications to why we even need a second entry. There's all sorts of things. It needs to be integrated. And we can't just keep doing the things way we things the way we have been. If you want to accelerate this, we're talking about actions. You're going to have an action plan in 100 days, but we've been working on the climate action plan for two, three years now, and we didn't even get it in this. So I'm wondering what's, what's going to change? How's this going to shift? How are we going to lift this? Because you can write all the plans you want, but if it doesn't get integrated across all all aspects of the city operations and start infiltrating the community and changing hearts and minds and agitating like you would for a bond issue. How are we going to do this? So I think we need to really look hard and I'm not, I know there's a gazillion reasons why it hasn't happened and I'm sure there's lots of explanations. I'm sure staff are sitting at home going, oh Martha, but it's this and it's that and it's that. And I was like, yeah, I know. I know it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy, but this is our burden to integrate this across the board. So I ask you to think deeply about how we actually make it happen. It's not enough to just write a plan. We actually have to integrate in our daily operations. So thank you. Thank you, Martha. Anyone else? Seeing no one council discussion. I personally was very pleased to um, see this item on the agenda. So I was excited uh, before when uh, Tracy had presented it to us some time ago about the possibility of this and then was disappointed when they couldn't find any uh, duplexes out there. So this was just kind of a great opportunity. It kind of fell into our hands here and uh, it certainly is a less expensive than building new. Uh, it's a start in the right direction for increasing affordable housing stock. Um, there's just great potential here, and I think in, in regards to Martha's comments, I appreciate all those comments. I, I, I think it could be a perfect opportunity to, to make these more energy efficient. Obviously, I don't know what the extent of the fire was in there or what the cause of the fire was, but there's great opportunity in, in the remodeling of it to, to do. And I know Tracy's on top of that with, with her energy efficiency in, in some of the rental homes that she does. So uh, I, I just think it's, it's a great idea, and I'm all for uh, the purchase of these. 
I think this is a great opportunity definitely for um, the individual, for the area that we had um, identified. It actually, it, there was a fire, which is a very unfortunate thing. Um, but then for this property to be right in the location, our target location, um, I think that's phenomenal. And we you know, are sitting in here with the opportunity to definitely purchase this property now. I don't know the damages of, of the building, if 124 is good or not. Um, but two homes for 124, to me, seems like a phenomenal deal. Um, I know there'll be updates and that type of stuff, but um, this, for me, is something that the community kind of brought um, in conjunction with um, the NDS um, department just coming to us and saying this is something that we want to try and navigate in an area where um, we're trying to make um, social justice um, a reality within our community. And so here we have at our you know, fingertip right now um, an opportunity to help someone become a homeowner. And I think that that is phenomenal. There's a lot that goes into homeowning and ensuring that um, they're going to be successful. Um, I know that the the staff is going to navigate that um, successfully as they have done uh, for various other programs. Um, and so I'm excited about this. I think that this will be a great opportunity. And this, um, for me, I see it as a trial basis as to what might come in the future. And so um, I'm loving this opportunity and um, just giving it my full support. I think this is a great opportunity, as people have said, in, um, in that area, and I think particularly with the pretty strict limitations that council had put on this with absolutely no displacement of individuals. I, I was you know, concerned if we were going to find anything. I, I think that's an issue that we still may have to come back to um, in terms of looking at that. Not that we want to do that, but I think in certain circumstances we can make that work okay for people. Um, so I think we have to maybe be open, a little bit more open-minded about that, depending. So I'm glad at, le at least we have one opportunity here. And, and Martha, I appreciate your comments because I think, it, and I, I'm sure if Tracy were to get up here, there's things that are in here that are probably very energy efficient and staff is looking at that. But I think what it also addresses is to help educate people and make people more aware of what we are doing, we need to start making more of an effort to have it in the documents that we're doing. Um, and obviously there's still, as we go forward, maybe even more ways that we can be even more cognizant and doing more things. But I think that brings the point that, yeah, we've got the one sheet, and from looking at the one sheet, it's not obvious that anything's being done, although I'm sure it is. So, and Tracy's nodding her head, yeah, that, yeah, we are, which I knew we would be. But it just, it's, it's combining all those things, making sure we're doing what we can, that we can afford to do, that what makes sense to do, but that we're also promoting it and making it clear to people that we're doing those things. So, mm -hmm. we'll get better, we'll get better. Yeah, this is kind of, uh, it is unfortunate how the opportunity arose, but it was the silver lining on this cloud that, that it happened there. It, and it may be, um, you know, and Martha, I do appreciate your comments. I'm, I'm looking at the, you know, $35,000 budgeted for renovation. It may very well be possible to um, direct those funds toward energy efficiency rather than, say, what I've seen in some of the university homes where they remodel the kitchen. You know, maybe something you could negotiate with the 
potential buyer as to how the funds are allocated. But um, in some respects, I think it would be, I, I, could, I personally would prefer the funds go toward building improvements related to energy efficiency than uh, kitchen remodel. Um, so anyway, this is, this is really just about the purchase, and then it will be interesting if we can see where it goes from there. You know, tonight I feel like we've had a lot of, like, small is beautiful victories. You know, sometimes as a council we have these big projects, you know, forest view and rezonings on, on, on buildings and these sorts of things. But tonight, I mean, I think of what we've done on Gilbert Street, that's a small beautiful victory, you know, a nice preservation. And here, I hear what you're saying, Martha, this was so hard to find. We, we were trying to essentially get home ownership opportunities for low-income residents in an area that traditionally had not had those opportunities. And I think one of the things that Councilwoman Salih had really done a good job is, as big of fans as we all are of the University program in terms of home ownership, in terms of neighborhood stabilization, there really were people that, although it was not an affordable housing project as such, why not expand those opportunities? And so like, I think the opportunity that we have here is in this, we so often talk about renters versus homeowners or long-term rentals. Well, what, what this really does is allows us some permeability where someone that maybe has been a low-income renter for a long time has that opportunity for ownership. Well, you know, we'll, we'll get, be able to have that opportunity. And I think that's really exciting. One sort of small ball thought here, one difficulty with the homeownership are these unanticipated expenses. Um, I know we have expertise with staff. I know that they've thought about, in fact, they highlighted that for us. I'm hoping that as they do this home ownership process that we can work with those residents for like an escrow account or something because if you're not used to those heating and those sorts of things I think that's where maybe there was some reluctance on part of the residents to take over that home ownership responsibility maybe because of those sorts of fears but but I think we can figure that out and make that happen so step one um, it's not the perfect step but I don't think we can let the perfect of you know getting stuff done so mega kudos all around with this project and I'm really looking forward Forward to those residents that are able to sink some roots into that neighborhood. Good deal. Well, I don't have anything to add. It's already been expressed. I look forward to voting for this. Roll call, please. Cole? Yes. Sims? Yes. Taylor? Yes. Teague? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Throckmorton? Yes. Motion carries six to zero. Item 15, council appointments. Applicants must reside in Iowa City and be 18 years of age unless specific qualifications are stated. Uh, item 15A, Housing and Community Development Commission. We have one vacancy to fill an unexpired term effective upon appointment. And we have eight applicants for that one position. What's your pleasure, folks? Well, one of the things that was in the staff thing was, was it the bylaws or whatever, there's supposed to be somebody on there who uh, either has, is or has um, had aid for housing. And it didn't look to me in reading those that necessarily, there's people who had some difficulties um, in terms of their finances, but I, I wasn't coming across unless I misread. Um, anybody who fit that particular category. So I guess that if I'm if I am correct in that, then I guess the question is, do we want to go ahead and appoint anybody out of here or do we want to wait? 
I had a question about that too, Susan. I mean, without it being on the application, how how do we know unless they volunteer that information? The one uh, young man volunteered that he has had difficulty uh, getting help with rent in the past, but he currently seems to be on his own two feet. Uh, so I, I was thinking that too. I mean, if we're following their guidelines, they specifically uh, sent us that memo that said the mm -hmm. commission is supposed to consist of those types of persons, and, and none of them fit that. Yeah, there's not a question on the application, and the staff has had the same conversation today about it. Um, I think there's the it meant the application is, as Susan noted, mentioned that those are desirable. Desirable. Um, applicants um, it would be up to the applicant to volunteer you know but um, with with the two others construction and finance it's going to be easier to tell that qualification from their occupation right. less so with rental assistance I don't think we could probably ask a mandatory question about rental assistance but we could certainly highlight the desire of volunteering it maybe on future applications so if we chose not to make an appointment tonight, what we would do, re-advertise? But then we wouldn't get any more information about no, the question I, at hand. So My recommendation is you go ahead and make yeah. the appointment, and we, we recognize the issue and we change it for the future. Yeah, okay. So are there suggestions about who to appoint? I, I just want to say that I spoke with Peggy Aguilar, um, and I think some of you may have met her before. Um, she's a very uh, flowerful spirit. Um, <laughs> I think it's the way that I would describe her. Um, and I do think um, she has worked um, within the affordable housing um, for affordable housing agency. She has um, significant experience with working with um, individuals that have needed assistance. And so I do think that she has a great understanding. Um, she is one that is uh, like, like to collaborate um, for solutions. And so um, she just has a great spirit that I think would be good for the um, HCDC um, personally. Well, I don't know any of the applicants, so um, although Peggy was one that I highlighted, so um, I don't know if any of you, anyone else knows any of the applicants personally. But, I don't think I do. Um, she was the only one that reached out, and I, I mean, I read through the other ones, and there are some great opportunities that we can get from others, but um, this is one individual that I've seen in, in, um, in action a little bit. Well, I'd, I'd be will, happy and willing to support Peggy with that being said. Rockney, Susan, Bowie, yeah. do you have ideas? Uh, Pe Peggy does have uh, experience. Um, the other one, the uh, young man I was talking about, the Zach, is the one who said um, he has lived in low-income housing and been home homeless, risked home homelessness, so he has that experience. Um, so but I, I would be happy either way. I would support Peggy. I think Zach is already on the Historic Preservation Commission. Is or has been, I'd noted oh, that. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. And Peggy has not been, as to my knowledge, and per her answer, okay. on any other commission or board. I, I, I would support Peggy Aguiar as well, which adds up to at least four people, as mm -hmm. best I can count. 
Could I have a motion to appoint Peggy Aguilar to the Housing and Community Development Commission? So move. Second. Moved by Teague, seconded by Cole. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. Okay, moving on to uh, item 16, announcement of vacancies. Again, applicants must reside in Iowa City and be 18 years of age unless specific qualifications are stated. We have one vacancy to fill an unexpired term effective upon appointment to the Historic Preservation Commission for the Woodlawn District. Applications for that position must be received by 5 p.m. Tuesday, August the 13th, 2019. We have one vacancy to fill a five-year term on the Airport Zoning Board of Adjustment and one vacancy to fill a three-year term on the Historic Preservation Commission for the East College Street District and vacancies on these uh, these positions will remain vacant. Uh, will re no, vacancies will remain open until they are filled. So, community comment. Austin, did you want to say anything during community comment? Uh, so, hello there, Austin Hi, Blue. it's good to see you again. Uh, it's good to be back in town. Um, the only thing I've heard is that orientation has wrapped up um, last week. So, in a month or so, get ready for a new uh, class of Hawkeyes. But quite, that, a f quite a few more is the way I understand it. Yes, there will be quite a few more than last year. Yeah. But, okay. um, that's the only news from the university I've heard so far. Okay, good deal. Moving on to item 15, city council information. Maybe we can, oh, I got my notes confused here. Uh, John, let's start with you and move to the right. Number 18, are we in? 18, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I'm sorry, I meant to I say 18. wanted to mention that uh, the open gardens tour this year, which was sponsored by Project Green, I happen to be one of the open gardens, along with um, nice. <laughs> my four neighbors on, on the 500 block of Brown Street. And uh, it was, don't know how anyone else did, but we had over 200 parties come through, wow. uh, you know, because Project Green is very well organized with this process. They have, you know, these books that you can fill in uh, the people who come, which we encourage, and we miss some, but we had roughly 200 parties, maybe 400 people over two days, some coming from Des Moines, you know, outside of town. So I, I think it uh, more than fulfilled its, uh, its goals. And uh, it was great fun having so many people coming into, into uh, the north side and onto uh, Brown Street. Uh, and it was, we were featuring the front yard, so. Mm -hmm. That meant the whole event was sort of like a party out on the street, <laughs> you know, because as much as people, I think, with the community garden concept or the uh, garden tour concept, want to go into the backyards and some would, uh, we, you know, I kept emphasizing, no, it's really about the front yards. Uh, and many of them appreciated that. Yeah. They, really, they really understood that idea. We were emphasizing the idea of this is our, our outdoor living room, basically. And... Um, the continuity of it is part of why it works. So it was it was hot, but uh, the continuous tree canopy helped. <laughs> I have nothing. Boring. Oh, let's see here. 
already talked about. You talked about the meeting we had with the school district um, coming up uh, this Thursday. Uh, uh, the ICAD had an invitation to a childcare workshop that the Chamber of Commerce and Kirkwood uh, College are sponsoring. Uh, it's going to be out at the Kirkwood Center off of Oakdale Boulevard at 9 a.m. Uh, several of our um, emails and messages and uh, topics today talked about childcare being a concern and how it affects uh, affordable housing and, and job uh, people working jobs out there uh, for lack of childcare. So I do plan to go to that. Um, Rockney mentioned the uh, Affordable Housing Coalition Mobile Home Task Force. That's Tuesday, July 30th. I do plan to go to that. And I'm not sure if Maz will be back by then. I hope she is, because she's supposed to join us with that, too. Uh, this Saturday, we can't forget, uh, on the 20th, the Rear Front Crossing's grand opening. Uh, long awaited for that. Um, Let's see. Took my grandson there, and he absolutely loved it. The playground. It's even for an eleven-year-old. He really enjoyed that. Uh, let's see. July twenty-fifth to August third, the rummage and the ramp is coming up. And oh, and this and Wednesday the twenty-fourth, we have the joint meeting with PNZ. I don't know if we mentioned that or reminded folks of that. That's all. I have. Um Two things I want to mention about houses into homes. So on the 9th of July, they had a um, opportunity for um, recipients as well as for their board members and community members to come to UAY, United Action for Youth, in Eastdale Plaza, and um, they just held a um, opportunity to really see, um, in my opinion, um, how diverse our community is. Um, and the needs of our community and how um, within our community we can support each other. And so it was a, um, it was very artistic and in some fashion there was, it's United Action for Youth, so there was lots of activities, group activities, um, um, partner activities that was quite unique and um, United Action for Youth does tomorrow night from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. They'll be receiving proceeds from sales from the Reunion Brewery in Coralville, and so that'll be taking place tomorrow. Um, so if you're out and about and want to um, go out and support them, that'll be great. Um, the on this on the 19th this Friday, though, I'm going to be attending the second annual Light of Hope breakfast. Um, and so that's um, going to benefit the uh, CASA and the abused and neglected foster children. So um, that is going to be this Friday. Um, and it starts at 7.30 a.m. And it's going to be at the Radisson Hotel in Coralville. Um, excited about the 20th as well. Um, Riverfront Crossing um, Park. So that's going to be very exciting. Other than that, there will be lots of events uh, coming up um, throughout this um, summer, which I hope people are partaking in. And I do hope everybody had a happy 4th of July. 
Yeah, I don't have a ton to add other than houses into homes. Just a quick elaboration on that. For those of you who don't know, the Houses into Home was a nonprofit started by two women here in the city of Iowa City. I think with a tremendous idea, which is so often when we place people into homes, people don't have the resources to get the furniture. So this nonprofit, their their mission is to provide no cost, as far as I can tell, Free. furniture for these locations. That's a very easy idea to state. Incredibly complicated to implement. And the fact that they have pulled this off for 18 months and it's still going and they still are doing this is just incredible. So continuing kudos to that organization in terms of the work that they actually do to serve the community. Um, obviously, I'm excited about the new park as well. I also love our neighborhood parks. And the other day, I was out on a run with my dogs, Percy and Ray, and I saw the progress we've made on Creekside Park. And I've been very pleased. It's very beautiful. How close are we to being is it pretty much finished? I mean, it looked like it was almost. I think there's just a punch list uh, items, and then our crews are going to go in and install the playground if they haven't started already. Okay. So, so at least walk by, check it out, um, enjoy our beautiful parks as we're hitting, you know, middle of summer. School's just around the corner. Okay, I guess it's my turn. So uh, I either participated in or planned to participate in several, several of the activities that you've already mentioned. So I'll bring up a few others. Uh, Jeff, several staff members, and I met with a group of realtors and apartment managers okay. on July the 8th discussing um, how to proceed uh, during this moratorium period that we're in um, subsequent to the rental cap ordinance banned by the state legislature. So, Jeff, when we get to you, if you want to, you might say just a little bit about that meeting. Uh, on July the 9th in this room, I participated in a meeting with civic visitors from a variety of countries in which we discussed community engagement in the arts, along with, Simon, you were there, right? I'm getting confused about who was where when, but along with John Kenyon from the City of Literature and Adam, what's his name, from Riverside Theater? I can't recall his name. I'm sorry, my apologies. Uh, and uh, uh, Lisa Barnes from the Summer of the Arts. Uh, yeah, and it's a very stimulating discussion. I thought they were really enthusiastic and a lot of great photos were taken afterwards, too. It was really fun to do that. On the 10th of July, I was interviewed by Holly Hart of KICI Radio about our climate action efforts. That was pretty fun. We talked for, I don't know, 20 minutes, half hour, something like that. And if you don't know about KICI, it's a, well, what's the right term here? A, a, a short distance radio station that covers basically Iowa City, at least that, you know, that, that geographical kind of area. So I was really, really pleased to be able to do that. And Friday evening, July the 12th, I attended the vigil to end human detention camps, the one that was held at College Green Park. There were probably 200 people there, roughly. I'm going to attend the ribbon cutting for Alexander Elementary, or Alexander Lumber, I should say, on um, July the 18th. That'll be pretty fun. And other things, with regard to the Riverfront Crossings Park uh, grand opening, I'm wondering whether we've had a chance to invite our two senators, the governor, Representative Lobsack, 
and our local legislative delegation. Yeah, uh, the Parks and Rec staff did reach out to all of those uh, individuals. Um, I don't think that we've gotten a good response rate uh, as okay. of yet. I, I don't think we're planning as formal of a gathering, um, but uh, Park staff will be reaching out to all of you about the ribbon cutting too. Okay, good deal. And I want to reemphasize uh, something that that Pauline said that on July the 23rd in this room, we're going to be holding a special work session with the Planning and Zoning Commission, but also leaders of Opticos to discuss their progress on the South District form-based code planning efforts and related matters. Say, 24th, Jim, 24th, right? I'm yeah. sorry, thank you, 24th. Uh, and it starts at 5 p.m. here in City Hall. People could come and observe if they are interested. So that's it for me, Jeff. Uh, real quick, uh, to elaborate a little bit on our July 7th meeting with the realtors and landlords, uh, we reached out to the Greater Iowa City Landlord Association and the uh, Iowa City Area Realtors. Each of those organizations sent a few members to this meeting, so there was a, a group of maybe a dozen or, or 15 of us between staff and, and members of those organizations. Uh, we reviewed the, the goals that the council adopted um, at the third reading of the moratorium and just reminded them what we're looking at um, from a staff standpoint. Oh, we spent a little bit of time talking about market conditions, and I think we want to uh, dive into that a little bit more to get their understanding of what changes are taking place uh, in these neighborhoods from their perspective, and again, either the management uh, landlord perspective or the uh, realtor perspective. But I'd say the bulk of the time we spent talking about enforcement issues, and uh, I think there was a, a, a very clear consensus that um, neither of those two organizations uh, uh, really um, take issue with uh, regulations that the city have put forward, setting the rental caps aside. Uh, and they, they feel like if, if we need regulations to preserve the neighborhood, that's fine, as long as those are clearly articulated to them and fairly enforced uh, consistently throughout those neighborhoods. Um, a lot of the concerns that we heard uh, centered around communication uh, with our enforcement. Uh, so we're going to get together again here in the in the coming month and and go through our communication protocol and examine ways that we can uh, communicate a little bit more clearly with uh, particularly the the landlord association and some of the management companies. So I think it was a it was a productive meeting. Um, you know, they didn't come to the meeting with any specific ideas on how to move forward. It was mostly just a, a discussion of kind of what their experience have been the last couple of years and uh, what they foresee going into the into the future. So we'll schedule a follow-up. We had uh, we had agreed to pull together some information for them that they think would be helpful, and they agreed to try to pull together some uh, market condition data that we might find helpful uh, in our deliberations as well. We are entering the last week of our chip-in uh, budget and council priority strategic plan priorities survey, and it's available on our website front page, so people can scroll down on icgov.org, and although the label says got five minutes, it's taking on average about two minutes, so uh, if you haven't taken it already, I'd encourage people to participate. Thanks. Eleanor. Nothing. Simon, great. Okay, I think we're done. Could I have a motion to adjourn, please? So moved. 
Second. Moved by Cole, second by Teague. All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carries. We are adjourned.